the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with Jake Freychick is straight ahead. And my father had a pretty good sense of humor. You know, this guy would be laying in bed with an IV or, you know, dealing with some... He was on, you know, he was on the phone with his, his oncologist at one point, I remember. And, uh, and, he, and the doctor was, you know, kind of talking like a doctor, hitting me with a lot of big words, you know, about what the plan is for possible treatments. My father cuts him off, you know, gets in the chase kind of thing. He goes, listen, hey, doc, this is my plan. I don't want to die. You know, and I was laughing, and you know, my father <laughs> said, hey, I got I, I to gotta laugh at this, or I'm going to cry at this. So um, it certainly is, is the way I cope with things. And I find a lot, a lot more people don't realize that it's, it's okay. I mean, you're not making light of the situation. You're dealing with it. Um, and, uh, I mean, I, I've been out at a funeral and a family member of mine sitting next to me, and in the church in the pew, and fell asleep. <laughs> you know, and somebody was talking up there, giving a speech, and oh, I got yeah. a, I got an uncle on my shoulder, almost snoring. You know, and was, how am I not going to laugh at that? Oh, that's hilarious. A, fr- a friend of mine's dad was uh, going through hospice, and he only had a couple of days left, and he he asked for a legal pad and and he's he's surrounded by members of his family and and he takes a pencil and he starts scribbling down you know instructions for people for after he's gone and the the first one on the list and and it was pure tongue in cheek said cancel all my appointments And and he was really trying to put the he was trying to put his family members at ease. They were, they're all sitting around looking all sad, and you know. And he was and he was trying to lighten the moment up, even though he knew that he it was just a matter of time. Yeah, and there's something like I can't imagine what goes on in the mind of a person in that situation, but there's some very admirable strength to that. Like your family's around, they're stressed, they're well, they're concerned, they're sad, and, you know, the person in the, in the hot seat, if you will, putting them at ease, it's a beautiful thing, you know? It, it really and is. Found, you're the yeah, one that's dying, but but you're the yeah. one that has to comfort everyone else. I know, it's what a weird exchange of burden, uh, and, and I've seen that play out before, and it speaks to the human spirit a bit, you know, that sense of humor is underrated, and, and they, they don't... They don't trickle out too much. They stick with you to your last moments, and it's it's a powerful thing. Well, Jake, um, now that this book is out, of course you'll be you know promoting it a little bit and working on it. But yes, but what's what's next for you? What's do you have another project lined up? Yeah, 
I have uh, I got something I've already started. It's um, it's going to be a little different than my first two books. It's kind of incorporating a lot of pictures. It's not a picture book per se, but um, it's it's got a lot of visuals and then writing components that directly relate to these visuals and kind of are inspired by them. Um, and I'm going to make it kind of more like a coffee table book. Uh, at least that's the plan right now. And it's got some just interesting stuff in there. And so I've now, already started on that. When you talk yeah. about visuals, are you talking about um, uh, 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 about artwork or pictures or graphics? What what kinds of images? Are you an artist or a mm-hmm. photographer? Um, I, I am at, well, I am an artist, but the first two books, Quicksand and The Waiting Room, I do the, the illustrations on the inside. But for this third project, these are photographs that either I or some professional photographer friends of mine have taken in our travels. And uh, that, sometimes I just see stuff that inspires a, a story or a narrative or a poem and things like that. And I could just write it. And I think when someone sees it and, and then they read it in, you know, in conjunction with each other, uh, I don't know, it just hammers it home a little more. It gets more embedded in the brain. Um, so that's what I'm working on with this one. Less drawings and illustrations and more you know, nice photos of interesting uh, aspects of life. Well, that sounds like a uh, like a fun project to do. Yeah, a little a little lighter, maybe a little lighter than what I've done. And, and then will it be the same sort of thing? Um, a a collection of of nonlinear. Uh, Images and, and story lines to go along. Yeah, with. this. Yeah, and it might even be a little looser in in, in structure than the uh, the first two books, where even though they were nonlinear, they had an underlying story that was woven in that kept it together. This might be a little um, more like a not like a travel guide, but something of that sort. Uh, one of my my other my other career that I the pandemic kind of stopped and then allowed me to just focus on writing. I was working in live music with big musicians and bands and artists touring the world. So that allowed me to travel all over the world and see tons of stuff, and that inspires a lot of... As, uh, as a musician, Jake, or part of the crew? Um, uh, part of the crew, and like a roadie. I, I was a musician myself and traveling toward, but on a different scale. On this scale, I was in all these different continents and countries and big arenas. And you just get to see so much different aspects of life, and that inspires a lot in me. Uh, traveling always does. And so um, that's kind of where some of the inspiration for this new book came from, some of the photos for that. And, and then I travel for, you know, my own reasons, which I'm, and my mind is, eyes are very analytical. I'm always looking at stuff, seeing stories that others might not. Who were some of the people that you went out with? Um... Uh, this band Slayer, large heavy metal legends. Yeah. Um, this band Disturbed, also a very big rock band. Uh, this band Lamb of God. It's this guy, coincidentally, his name's DJ Snake. He's an artist from Paris, and he's one of the biggest international producers in the world right now. Um, a few others. Uh, what were, some, been, of the, what were some of the places that you uh, set up oh, shows in? I mean, God, I mean, every... Every city and town and major minor city in the United States, every country in Europe, parts of Asia, Japan, South America, Central America, 
So I, I, Canada too, uh, North America, I guess, Mexico, Canada. So all, all over. I mean, God, you name it, probably. I mean, I didn't end up in like Antarctica or uh, New Zealand, but, you know, gosh, it's quite a bit of places. Did COVID bring that to a halt? It did. It did. And then when they started resuming it, I got offered some gigs, but I was really deep in writing and my podcast, and I had made some other business investments. So I didn't really have to go back. And not that I didn't love it, I did, but I just wanted to focus more on writing. And I have the ability to do so now. And so I chose to not go back. Plus, uh, you know, it's hard on a relationship if you have a wife or a girlfriend or a kid going away for five, six, seven weeks in time, coming home for two months, and then going back out. It takes a toll. And, uh, I mean, I was blessed to do it for five and a half years straight. And now I really wanted to focus on more of my passion. Well, that's great. Um, yeah. Jake, the, uh, you know, I always ask guests um, to share with listeners where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, mm-hmm. and future. Do you have a website you want to share? I do. Uh, I have a website. It's damagedgoodspodcast.com. It's a podcast that has links to all the streaming sites of my, of my podcast, or rather a website with all the streaming sites in my podcast, but it also has links to my book and all my social media handles um, on Instagram. It's at Jake Frazick, J-A-K-E-F-R-A-C-V-E-K, and on Facebook and Twitter. And I'm constantly on there, not just promoting what I'm doing, but, you know, pretty open and candid with my life. You know, backstories, current things I'm going through. I write little pieces and poems and share stuff on there that aren't in my books. So little freebies for people to keep them, um, you know, in between that. And my podcast, Damaged Goods Podcast, is on, uh, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, all the major ones, anywhere people enjoy that. And that's weekly. And I'm very candid on there. And I have conversations with people from the various arts, whether they're writers, dancers, musicians, directors, chefs. You know, people in the creative realm of things. And uh, it's not, we don't do interviews, it's more of just us talking, kind of revealing aspects about our various artistic professions, and then it just leads into personal anecdotes and tidbits of our lives. Well, Jake, thank you so much for spending this time with me and the listeners this morning. And yeah. Thank you, Tom. Uh, keep, up the, uh, keep up the good work. Appreciate it, Tom. Thank you very much. You have a great day, and I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Take care. Take care. Once again, that was uh, Jake Frachek, he, uh, or a.k.a. Jake the Snake, author of The Waiting Room. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight <laughs> Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and it seems like uh, my guest this hour was was just on the show. In fact, I think she was just a very few weeks ago, and um, she is a prolific writer and has a debut novel for middle schoolers called The Marvelers. Her name is Danielle Clayton, and she joins me by phone. Danielle, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be back here with your listeners. 
We we should pick like if you're going to keep writing books this fast, Danielle, <laughs> we should just pick once a month, and <laughs> we'll we'll do Danielle's corner, and we'll get people updated <laughs> on what you're writing or what's happening with the things that you have written. Because the last time we talked, <laughs> we got talking about some Netflix projects. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, I know. I just seem to be very busy this year with lots of book releases. So, <laughs> well, and good for you. Is that is that something that feels um, stressful? You know, a lot of times writers work very, um, very much on their own and in in a very solitary way. But you've got all this stuff going on. Is that is that stressful, or is that what you really hope? Are you really anxious to be out there? I love being busy um, and being out there and also getting to see kids and talk to kids about books. So, you know, I'm, I'm living the dream, truly. Just, it, I, have, I have been, I had a lot of releases this year. However, I am very excited um, to be back on the road only because I get to see young people. And that's the best part of this job. And, and speaking of young people, I mean, you've always written with young people in mind but now this is being called uh the marvelers your your newest book is being called a debut novel for middle schoolers um or or middle grades why um why the the audience switch Are, are you trying to get some new blood in the uh Danielle Clayton uh, fan club or because I think a lot of times of people who write for young audiences that the audiences that that they just keep skewing older and older and the audience stays with them do you know what I mean I do and you seem to be going the other way (laughs) (laughs) I'm going I turn towards the younger readers um but yes I always dreamed I was a middle school librarian and upper elementary school librarian for so many years. So this is my natural audience. I just started my career writing for high schoolers. Um, but this is my great love is upper elementary school and middle school. It's where I forged my first, you know, um, connections with the age group. And, and this is who inspired me to write all of my books is when I was a librarian and when I was at work with this age group. Now, when we were talking, I think, I'm trying to remember if the last time we spoke was about Shattered Midnight um, or the Rumor Game. Or the Rumor Game, game. it could have been either of those. In in any event, um, is... Is The Marvelers a a standalone book, or is it connected to other books you've done? Or, finally, is it the beginning of a new series? So The Marvelers is the beginning of my next series, and it is the future of Magic School. More with Danielle Clayton, New York Times bestselling author for young people straight ahead. The Tom Sumner Program.com 
Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Attorney General stuff? Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen... We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. 
I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More with Danielle Clayton, New York Times bestselling author for young people straight ahead. And so in middle grade fiction for young readers, the magic school is a huge trope. It's something that kids love to read about. And I was working in my library in East Harlem, New York, and my students were asking me tough questions about why they weren't showing up in books that had magic schools. Why weren't they the main characters? Why weren't they even secondary characters? And I didn't have any answers for them. And it made me really, really sad and really, really frustrated that I, they weren't I, can, I, can I back you up for just a moment, Danielle, sure. and say when you talk about the kids that were coming up to you in your library in East Harlem, um, are we talking primarily about children of color? Yes. And they're saying, yes. why Why aren't people who look like us in these magical stories and these fantasy fiction uh, books? Exactly. Exactly. And East Harlem is Spanish Harlem. And so all of my kids, most of my kids were first generation um, kids. And their parents were from all over the world. But, but yes, they were kids of color. Um, and I didn't have any answers for them. I scoured for these books, and they didn't exist at the time. And I said, okay, I've got to do something about this, and started advocating. But also I thought, I need to write what I want my kids to be able to have. Um, and that's how The Marvelers was born, a magic school for all, a magic school for every kid across the globe. And set in the clouds. Is that because yes. is that because that's where the kids were already looking? No, so the reason why I said <laughs> it in the clouds <laughs> I mean they were looking out the window at the clouds, being like, I'm bored here at school. Um, but rather I designed this magical world so that there's a magical group of people called the Marvelers and they decided to leave the non magical people behind and live in the sky. They have three cities and they have this school because they feel safe. It's a protected piece. Non-magical people cannot see them. And it's a place where they can feel safe and separate. And so that's why I said the clouds. Also, I was a kid that was like sitting my boredness on an elbow, looking out the window, right? Wishing something was up in the clouds, wishing that, you know, there was something cool um, and magical there when I was a young person. So I thought, why not? And and this is sort of a, a magical boarding school, but, but more importantly, you wanted the story um, and, and stories, the, the things that take place in this magical boarding school to reflect to some degree, the cultures of the audience that you're you're trying to um, appeal to, in terms of age and ethnicity and so on. How, did you have to do a lot of research to bring in a lot of elements from different cultures? 
Absolutely. So yes, it is a global magic school. It means that there are kids from all over the world there and that um, marvelers come from every single culture and community um, and place. And yes, I had to do a lot of research. However, I have been fortunate enough to uh, fortunate enough to travel quite a bit. I've been traveling since I was 14 years old. My parents were huge on me going to these international programs, leaving America, going abroad, living abroad. And my dad was a military brat. He grew up all over the world. And so I came from this, this a family that was globally focused. And so I just did what I know how to do, which is to include everyone and to find a way to find an organizing idea that everyone can find their space in. So the Marvelers can be from anywhere. Um, and they are from all over the world because I wanted to showcase a, a world where every kid got to be magical no matter what. And their community and their culture was represented because their magic comes from that. Because I felt like my students had their own superpowers and they were from all different places. And I wanted to mirror that. When you, um, what, what kinds of, of rules do you have to follow when you're creating a world of your own? So many rules, so many rules, because it has to make sense, right? Kids ask tons of questions, and they're often very, very logical. Um, and so the <laughs> slightest little thing, when it comes to books, they're like, but why, right? Why? And you have to make sure that you have answers for their questions. And so, yes, um, there are tons of rules about what makes a, a marveler, uh, which are my magical people. But I also have another magical people called, a co called conjurers. And so I had to lay out all of these rules of both of their magics because they are two magical communities that are in conflict or in a, in a sort of fraught relationship. And so I have tons of notebooks, if you could see them, of all the different rules for all of the magic because magic has to have a price and magic has to have a container, in my opinion, so that it feels real. It feels like you can have it, um, which is the best part of reading these types of books. Every kid will want to be a marveler and be magical. Has, has, has this been a big adjustment from, you know, after you've written <clears throat> so many young adult bestsellers to be writing for middle grades? Is, is this a big adjustment for you, or is that a language you already naturally spoke? It's a language I naturally spoke. Um, I feel like I'm coming home. I feel like I am writing the thing that I was always supposed to be writing and for the age group I was supposed to be writing for. Um, the upper elementary, so, you know, even third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grades are sort of where I started. It's where I wanted to be published first. I just kind of got lucky in the, in the YA side of things um, with those stories, but this feels very much like coming home. Since I was an elementary and middle school librarian, the demographic of who I'm writing to, these are my, these are my students. This is a book that's a love letter to my students. Um, and it's also something I wanted to read when I was, I was, I was this age and there's no like a writing adage or saying that writers are, get stuck at a certain age and they keep writing to that version of themselves. And I definitely think my 11 year old self is where I am sort of, I am stuck. <laughs> um, always catering to that kid in me, right? 
so I can remember being 11 and everything I was into. Is it, is it important um, to cast characters that that are similar in in age and ethnicity and so on to the audience? I mean, for me, it's most important that my world reflect the world I know and the world that I live in. And I live in New York City, which is a very global city. There are people from all over the world. So for me, I wouldn't be telling the truth in my fiction, which is what I think I'm supposed to be doing as a writer, um, even though writers are also professional liars, right? We make up things um, and, and, and tell stories. But I believe that in order for me to tell an authentic story, that means being inclusive of all different kinds of kids, because that's what I see every day. Those were the kids coming in and out of my library. And so for me, yes, it is important to make sure that every kid gets to see themselves as the hero of a story. And I feel like that's what I've been setting out to try to do. Well, in these days of, of fake news and alternative facts, I prefer to think mm -hmm. of writers as professional fabricators and <laughs> leave and leave the line to politicians. Fair. That is fair. <laughs> it is. We're so, fabricators, we are illusionists. So when um, you when you run for Congress, then I'll be comfortable calling you a liar. Yes, <laughs> then, right. We'll sit alongside the rest of them. <laughs> um, Danielle, when you were um, affected by, by these young people coming to you and saying, why don't we see ourselves in these stories, especially the, the fantasy fiction um, genre, and you started thinking, I've got to do something about this, which came first to you, the stories or the people in those stories? Interesting. That's such a great question. Um, for me, what first came was the world. So I'm a world first writer. So I thought, hmm, my kids are asking me, my students are asking me about magic school and they love magic school and sort of hidden spaces um, of magic. And so first I designed my school um, and then I said, okay, if I design a magic school that is focused on making sure that every kid all over the world can find their place there, how do I then find my troublemakers within that world? So for me, <laughs> the world came first. My troublemaking uh, characters based on my students came second. Um, but I wanted to first design a world that I knew that they would fall in love with and that they would be able to call home. So you really kind of create the the environment. Then, then where does the story work its way in, or do the characters tell you the story? So usually, so I, I make the world first, and then I pick a character that I feel like will shake up the world the most and then give them side characters that help with that mission. And so... Um, you know, I plotted, I plotted it out pretty deeply. I, at, at its core, the Marvelers is about community and I want to, and about two communities and how do you build a bridge between them? And so I wanted to pick a character that would be sitting at those fault lines um, and also be struggling with how are they going to represent their magical community as they're going into another magical community. And I was very much inspired by the real life figure of Ruby Bridges 
and her story and that iconic photo of her as a little little girl with those men around her as she was integrating a school and that was the catalyst for the actual story itself within this magical container as i was sitting down saying what story do i want to tell in this magic school i saw her she popped into my head and i watched a documentary and i thought hmm how can i do something like this and make it magical so kids could have a conversation about insiders and outsiders and how we make space and community through the lens of magic, but really grounded in a in real world stuff. This is uh, fascinating. Now, the Marvelers is the first in a series. Any idea how long the series is? Is it a, a trilogy? Is it seven parts, five parts? <laughs> Maybe it'll grow to seven parts. Right now, it's four books. And so I'm actively working on the other books in the series. Um, but I'm hoping that kids really fall in love and then I can continue to add to this magical universe. Now, you've had books, if if I'm not mistaken, this is not, this book, The Marvelers, this series is not under the Rick Riordan uh, imprint? It is not. I do love Rick Riordan because... He gave me a fabulous blurb, and he is one of the best children's book authors in the world, and I adore him. But it's not part of Disney Publishing's Rick Riordan Presents books. Well, I just, I just wondered, because it certainly meets the criteria. Yeah. If you yeah. know what I mean. And, and I kept looking yeah. for the imprint, and then I realized, no, it's, <laughs> this, is a, this is a different, a, a different uh, branding, a different publisher. Um, uh, it is, but Rick Riordan is the best. So the fact that he read the book and gave me a fantastic blurb, I feel like he has blessed <laughs> the Marvelers to come into the world very much how he blesses the books that come from his amazing imprint, which I love and adore. Well, it's it's encouraging more writers to do what you're doing with this book. Absolutely. And and, and that's why I thought it was worth a mention. But getting back to the Marvelers and and the series, will this be a Marvelers series or are the Marvelers a, a group within that series? So it's called, um, we're calling it the Marvelerverse. So um, it's going to be a big series uh, following this character, Ella Durand, for four books. And we'll see, we'll see how it goes but i'm really excited for the series i'm also launching a big website that's at um, the marvelerseries.com and so there'll be a lot of cool extra content etc um so so yeah i'm hoping to have a huge universe that kids can write themselves in write fan fiction make their own characters and have a good time <laughs> that does know? sound like a good time um <laughs> Will will the books going forward uh, that that follow Ella will they be sequential? Yes. So we will follow Ella at each level of her instruction at the magic school, but also she's got a ton of things going on um, back home. Like I said earlier, she represents a group of magical people that were stuck down with the non-magical when the Marvelers decided to leave the non-magical behind and live in the skies. And so we get to see that not everyone is happy about Ella 
coming to the school and not everyone is happy who are marvelers and not everyone who's happy who are conjurers from the group she comes from. So you get to see a lot of the politics of her magical community too back home. She comes from New Orleans, Louisiana, and you get to see sort of how the conjurers feel about her going into the sky and going to this other school. So you'll get to see her every year and also all of the politics that she's dealing with. And the book follows the villain of the story, which is a lot of fun. And you get to see sort of what this villain is up to and brings up big questions of what makes someone bad, what makes someone good, what makes someone a villain. So we get to see what um, my lady villain is up to. How much of you is in the characters that you create and, and to what degree are they based on, if not you, people you know? So I'm very inspired by real life. And, um, and I also take fragments of myself. So I would say that Ella is who I wish I was as a young person. She is the type of character, the type of kid that would have been the friend of the kid that is the quiet one in the room that is nervous, right? The one that is looking or feeling lonely. She's the kid that is the ambassador of the school and is just so warm and friendly and awesome. I'm more like the secondary character, Bridget, who is on the cover. She's grumpy and she has her arms crossed because that was me (laughs) as a kid. I was a sourpuss. I was like, don't look at me. I'm reading my book. Don't ask me to do anything, mom. Like, you know, like, leave me alone. I don't want to go to camp. Um, oh, get mom. me out of here. <laughs> right. I know, my poor mother. Um, so I'm more like that. And then I have a character named Jason who's kind of a share, uh, scared of his own shadow. And definitely based on some of my students who are just so incredibly shy but connected with animals. And connected with sort of like sort of that quiet, <laughs> quietness and the interspaces and, and watch. And so I definitely borrow from real life. I borrow from my life, people I meet, people I see, and especially my students uh, from my library. Do your stories provide a, um, a lesson or are they designed primarily to be kind of a, a pleasant escape i want it to be a pleasant escape i want so when i was a young person and a young reader and um i was very voracious and i just wanted to fall into books and i was so obsessed with them that i would just read i would devour books and so i wanted to just escape how boring earth was, I think my mother would (laughs) agree. I was just perpetually (laughs) bored. And so books for me were an escape to to awesome places and just really activated my imagination. So I'm hoping to offer that for the next generation of kids who are looking for that big magical world that they just want to live in forever. How was it, Danielle, for you, and how do you imagine it is for your readers um, escaping into books rather than television and movies? That is the biggest conflict, right? Um, right now, TV and movies are huge. There's so much streaming, so much binging culture, and we want to keep young people coming back to books. So I think the more cinematic 
um, the book is, uh, the better it is for snatching that young reader because they have so many options from video games to Netflix to, you know what I mean, webtoons, uh, anime. And so for me, I take it as a challenge. Yes, there's a lot of distractions um, and a lot of things pulling out our young people's and our young readers' time. But reading is such part of a elementary and middle schooler's life um, because they are still emerging readers. They are building their skill set, and I wanted to be a part of that. And that's why I love writing for this age group and wanted to because I know how important it is. This is the time period when we build imaginations or we break imaginations. Um, we can either feed that creative spirit through having these cinematic books that really suck in your reader, um, or we get kids that say they hate books. And part of that is they haven't found the right book, the right story. They haven't seen themselves. Are there, certain, are there certain hooks that draw young readers in better than others? And and I know sometimes illustrations and... and um, uh, artistic elements to um, to the layout of books is is something that's used by by some authors. Um, your books have some illustrations, but they're primarily words. Are are there ways you can you can hook a young reader early on? I don't Absolutely. I don't want to give any spoiler alerts away or tricks of the <laughs> trade but um but but are there certain things that you know when kids see it they their eyes light up and and they're they're in Absolutely I think that the way that we tell stories now has to encompass the way that kids are experiencing the world So kids are inundated with lots of different kinds of media so, for example, in The Marvelers, I chose to tell the story in regular chapters, but also in all of the media, the magical media of this world. You get news articles, you get leaked documents, you get art, you get posters, you get letters, because I feel like today's kid is getting all kinds of information in this particular way, and I think it'll make the book more accessible and more exciting because they're not just reading regular chapters, they get to read all of these other kinds of documents, which for teachers and librarians and, and parents, it's really exciting to talk about, like, what is a primary source? What is, what is misinformation? What is true? What is not? Looking at these articles and these pieces. But I think that if you are a writer out there and you're trying to make sure that your book speaks to young people and can hook them, that's cinematic writing, but also thinking about how kids are processing the world right now. Um, and seeing how that can influence your storytelling. Now, normally I would be asking what's up next for you, Danielle, but it's, <laughs> it seems like there are so many things going on simultaneously. Um, what What is coming up? I mean, I know there are going to be more Marvelers uh, stories, more stories uh, about Ella, but Mm-hmm. But what are the things do you have going on? Can you work on multiple projects at the same time, or did you just have a lot of things that came to fruition this year? I had a lot of things that came to fruition this year. Um, there was also the supply chain issue, right? So books that were supposed to come out last year or ah. in the first year of the pandemic got bumped to subsequent years. So I got kind of like a, they're like, oh, my gosh, so many books this year. And it's like, yes. 
Some of them were bumped because of all the supply chain issues, but... More with Danielle Clayton, New York Times bestselling author for young... From the Darkwing Duck here, and every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage? Basketball or soccer? So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. Not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days, price swings of 30 or 40 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. 
But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop Attorney Generaling! We got a concert to get to! I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nussel. If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash ag. Put those away. We're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with Danielle Clayton, New York Times bestselling author for young people straight ahead. Um, I have another book <laughs> coming up. Besides just being in my Marveliverse and working on that series, which I am working on, um, I have a book, another book with some of my best friends coming out in, in um, November. It's called White Out. It's another collection um, that we put together. And this time it's um, a novel that I wrote with Angie Thomas, Nick Stone, Nicola Yoon, Tiffany D. Jackson, and Ashley Woodfolk. And it's about love in the snow. <laughs> and that comes out in November, right in time for snow, hopefully. I, well, snow. I think I'm the only person that loves snow. <laughs> well, you'll have to bundle up and come back. That's right. <laughs> I can't wait. Maybe come, I can bring my friends with me. Yeah, come, come back during the snowy season. We have lots of snow here. Um, <laughs> Danielle, it is always such a pleasure to talk with you and and uh, to try to keep up with all the exciting things that you have going on, and we will continue to do that. And and I hope Absolutely. you will um, come back and and visit with me uh, again and again. Um, in the meantime, as you know, I always like to give uh, guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, you want to share that website again, or do you have other resources that you'd like to share? Absolutely. So you can find everything that you need to know about the Marvelers uh, series at themarvelersseries.com. And you can also follow me on social media on all platforms. I'm at Brown Bookworm. And so you can get more and more about it there, too. Well, my guest is Danielle Clayton. The new book is The Marvelers. It's her uh, first in a series of books for um, middle grade readers. And uh, she is a New York Times bestselling author and um, and, and really fast becoming one of my favorite guests. Danielle, thanks so much for being here today and, and spending this time with me. And keep up the good work. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care. Once again, Danielle Clayton. The book is The Marvelers. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program.
from the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. Now, when a virus comes along that's spreading like a plague, Otis and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague. Well, then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well, unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus, and if we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad transmittable contagious awful virus. And if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docs were busy overseas with World War I. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. It's super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the last until July. A super bad, transmittable, Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Tom Sumner, program.com. The Tom Sumner, program.com. From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. Hi, I'm Alexander Zajic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. <laughs> <laughs> 